Hey, you don't have to raise your hand if you didn't, but if you did, raise your hand. <laughs> well, we're in a new series titled Teleos. It is the Greek word for mature. Essentially, it just means grow up. We're off to a great start, aren't we? No, I'm not saying to grow up, although I am, um, but I'm speaking to myself. Uh, and we've been unpacking and introducing um, this particular word as the Apostle Paul um, gave a lot of attention, it seems, to this particular subject. Um, we were in uh, last Sunday, Ephesians chapter 4. We were in 1 Corinthians 14 and 13. We, were, we landed on the first six chapters of Hebrews. Um, so there's a lot of content here uh, to move with. And we're going to pick back up in the book of Hebrews so you can turn there if you want. I'm reading out of the ESV. I um, almost scored a real tight-looking ESV this morning. I, um, we, we prayed. We had prayer last night at the House of Prayer, and somebody left this really nice, sharp-looking ESV Bible. I imagine it was Liam, uh, because I heard somebody creeping in, because I, I sleep there on Saturdays. Somebody was creeping in to grab the Bible, and I'm saying, oh, there goes my hookup. There goes my hookup. <laughs> so uh, usually I can score big at the House of Prayer. People leave phone chargers. They leave money. They leave clothes. It's like, this is awesome. It's like the Salvation Army over there. It's great. <laughs> And um, I think, Graziano, you may have a Bible there, but you might want to check it out. Glad you have that one. But there's a sweet little New King James Version with your name in it there. Check it out. At the House of Prayer. He's like, what? What? I could have stole it, bro, but it had your name in it. I just can't do that. I can't bring myself to it. Is that right to say that in church? No. <laughs> but this ESV that I found last night didn't have a name in it. So I was like, well, free game. Let's go with it. And heard somebody creeping in this morning. And I was like, ah. I've been caught. I've been had. Um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to read um, 11 through 14, and we're going to skip right um, over to chapter 6, 1 through 3. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though the, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is far for the mature, excuse me, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, go on to teleos. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. Now, I want you to pay close attention to verse 3. I'm going to pause here so you can just land on it. Okay, because we're going to think a little bit about this particular passage. I don't think it's going to bode well in a charismatic setting. It would go very well in a Calvinist setting. You know, Pentecost seemed to be okay when it comes to the sovereignty of God in regards to Christ's death. Kind of like um, God had foreknowledge, God orchestrated, God put him there, but we get a little bit caught up when it comes to issues like this. But verse 3 of chapter 6 says this. It says, The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal life, and this we will do if, this we will do if God permits. 
You're all looking at me. What is he going to say? I've prayed long and hard about this particular um, passages and trying to prep and wrap my mind because it, got to be honest, it kind of messed with me a little bit. It still is. Um, but that's what happens when you study the Word of God. It's, um, it's transformative. It really is. It has the power to transform your lives, your mind, and your heart. And so I hope it does that just that this morning. And so let's do a little recap, though, before we get into it. Um, last night, um, last Sunday, excuse me, I mentioned, as we're in the book of Hebrews, and we kind of landed on the first six chapters last Sunday, that there were some Christians amongst this group that um, handled or treated their faith with a, a, a sluggish or careless attitude. Um, you get the sense that these believers were trying to just coast right through to eternity. Um, the idea and the feel that you get from the writer is they neither were hot nor cold, but they were just that place of the middle, maybe lukewarm, I guess. And we all know what Jesus does with lukewarm believers. It's not pretty. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Read the book of Revelations. He says he spews them out of his mouth. Quite the picture. Last week, I used the example of seeing our faith, our Christian faith, as having or being like a set of gears in a car. Um, these Christians were in neutral. And the feeling that you get from the writer is there is no neutral <laughs> place there is no kind of cruise control you're either going forward or you're going backwards that's essentially the tone that's the feel that you get within this book throughout every verse in every chapter the overall feeling is this is that you are either going forward you're pressing on you're persevering and you're pressing on growing into the full stature of Christ or you're digressing and you're going the opposite direction um, now, I'm not saying you, I'm not pointing to you, but I'm, I'm just trying to give the feel of the text or of the book. And, and I'm trying to get us to not just mainly think about Hebrews, you know, intellectually, but place ourselves within the story. That's, I think that's the purpose of it. I think that there's something to be had because I see so many parallels, that's the correct word, between church today and the story, maybe the condition of these believers in the book of Hebrews. There was, this was a crisis. There were problems here. It wasn't uh, pretty. It, 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 there was a sense of caution and sobriety in the tone of the words uh, throughout this book. And so I want to catch that tone. And specifically here in verse 3, I want to I really focus about this big if. Because, man, it hit me hard how many enjoyed that 50-degree weather? What was it, like Wednesday or Tuesday? Man, that was great. You're like global warming. Hey, sign me up. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I said that. Um, but then you, it was like a day or two days later, you woke up, you, you woke up, you walked a dog, and you're like, whoa, what happened to the 50-degree weather? Like, such a drastic change. And that's kind of the feeling that I got when I wrote, writ, uh, or read, excuse me, sorry, tongue-tied, um, that, those words, if God permits, if God permits. Uh, last week, we discussed that these Jewish believers in the book of Hebrews were doing just that. They were drifting, okay, um, kind of coming back, not getting ahead of myself, but they were drifting. They were unconcerned with the ramifications of their lukewarm state. Um, they became indifferent to the things of God. Uh, this was seen primarily in the way that these Jewish believers, these Jewish converts, 
were losing their desire to press on to maturity. Interesting, isn't it? This was prior, the, 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 the thing that you catch the most within the tone of these chapters and verses is that these people lost their drive, their ambition to press on and to grow into the things of God. Now, mind you, these are seasoned Christians. We talked about that last Sunday. These are believers, what I mean by seasoned Christians. They've been walking with Jesus for quite some time. That's, that's concerning to me. <laughs> that, that, that really hits close to home within my own life. Another thing is uh, you, get, you get a feel that these believers were uh, recently converted from Judaism to Christianity. They were suffering persecution because of their conversion. And some scholars, people who study these things, believe that uh, some of this kind of... Uh, this neutral zone, this lukewarmness was a result of just trying to stay under the radar so people wouldn't persecute them for their faith. But it doesn't bode well with the writer. It seems to be, or it seems to be plain that the book of Hebrews, uh, in the book of Hebrews, the writer is, or wants, I'm sorry, us to press on to mature Christianity. Um, Hebrews 6.1, we read it. Let us press on to maturity, right? Interestingly enough, I love that he includes himself within the numbers. He doesn't, he doesn't like take himself out. He doesn't like, you guys press on to maturity. And let me just say this this morning. I'm throwing myself in this. <laughs> I'm not, I don't consider myself to be, you know, or to have arrived at a place of growth and maturity. I'm still pressing on in my own journey, journey towards it. But I love how the writer himself in uh, 6 verse 1 includes, he places himself there. And, and, and such as the writer did, and as he urges his listeners or his readers to do the such, I want to encourage us as a church to place ourselves right there. Because I would, I would almost bet money on the fact that there are places either emotionally, there are places um, spiritually, that there is room to grow. Friends, there is always room to grow. Now, there's a lot of perfection talk in these texts. There's a lot of like, growing in perfection, and we kind of get tied up. Listen, this is a work. This work of maturity will go on till Christ returns. You're not just going to one day arrive and say, I made it. Jesus ain't here yet. Yeah. You know, no, but we're going to work towards it. It's our goal. It's our job to work towards these things while we wait, while we eagerly await the return of Christ. So let's break, uh, I think, specifically, uh, verse one, or uh, uh, verse three of chapter six, down a little bit. Um, you know this if this if God permits this we will do if God permits. Um, you know, you start to get the feel. Does it mean uh, that God possibly may or may not permit our pressing on to maturity? Now uh, we talked about sovereignty in the beginning a little bit. We as a charismatic church, I think, are okay in dealing with sovereignty in ways. We still have, you know, a certain wrestle and angst in our life to be able to alter courses, be able to alter, you know, um, uh, things, uh, uh, president, uh, presidential elections and through prayer and contending for revival. And I don't want us to get caught up in there because I still believe in contending, but there is a huge overwhelming sense in this particular verse of God's sovereignty that we need to connect to and with, I believe, as a company. 
You know, I, I, I'd almost imagine that he uses these words to wake these believers up. You know, they're cruising. You kind of get the sense that they're just, ooh, you know, drifting along, unconcerned, don't care, don't want to serve, don't want to love, don't want to share the gospel. They're just, whatever, que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. And he says these words that I think jolts the heart like a jolted mind when I read them. This we will do if God permits. I hope as we unpack this particular verse that it grips our hearts as well, that it, in a sense it startles us to start thinking about God's sovereignty. Is everybody all right? So let's first clarify what it is that God may permit or not permit. I want to start with the word this. Can we do that? This. Let's go with just some evident, clear observation. One, I think you could include, um, this is leaving elementary teachings about Christ. All right, that's clearly there within the text. Um, Another thing that's clearly there is press on to maturity. Okay, so we're defining the this and this in the passage in chapter three. Uh, Don't lay foundations again. I would... Imagine that that is included. Is everybody tracking with me? Now, I need you to put your thinking caps on because I kind of got to go into teacher mode and I got to talk about things that I'm not even sure about. <laughs> but so the questions we have to ask ourselves, um, because something doesn't just seem to fit here logically. Look back at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. This is what he says. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles principles of the oracles of God. The question is, how does this fit within Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, where he says, leave elementary teachings and don't lay those foundations again? You're following me? Okay, is it clear there? I mean, I'm sure, you know, this, this writer seems to be pretty clear, pretty on point. They, they, most scholars believe it's... it's, it's um, I forget how to word it exactly, but one of the best writings in the whole of the New Testament in terms of his articulation. I'm sure he just didn't fall asleep and then a couple verses later say something so contradictory to what he laid out in 5.12, right? So one seems to say they need to be taught the basics again in Hebrews 5.12. We read that. And the other seems to say they should not lay those foundations again. Well, does he or doesn't he want them to lay those foundations are the basics of Christ and the gospel again. Do you see the question that needs to be asked? I, I, I literally, I need you to see this. Very close passages together. Hebrews 5.12, Hebrews 6.1. One says they should not lay the foundations, the basics again. So evidently, in my mind, there seems to be a difference um, between the teaching that they need in 5.12 and the laying again of a foundation in 6.1. One. one they need and one they don't need. What's the difference? I think it's this. And I'm going to explain because I, when I, when I, I'm going to read it from my notes because I had to write it down to really capture, I think, my thoughts. 
Um, you're probably not going to connect to it immediately, but I'm going to clarify it. So just hold on for a short little ride with me. Is that okay? I know we're not used to teaching that much in the charismatic, uh, you know, uh, life of which I'm grateful for, but I think we need to really pay attention to these words. I think the teaching they need is about the basics. And 512 is how to use those basics for Christ's sake to press on to maturity. Now, again, I said I would explain, so just hold on. But laying the foundation again, I think, implies that they are losing sight of the basics of Christ and are beginning to occupy themselves with Old Testament and Jewish truths that were used as the foundation for presenting and understanding Christ, which is very logical. I shared earlier that these believers were starting to find a middle ground because of persecution between Judaism and Christianity. So it's very possible, it's very logical to think that these guys were starting to uh, digress, they were starting to fall back upon some foundational teachings that, 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 that carried uh, the, 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 the feel of the Old Testament. Is that clear? So in other words, it's what we saw last week in 514, and even this week we read. I know it's a lot. I, I'm trying to just get us to truck, and I'm going to preach, and, just, and I'm going to do the charismatic thing in a little while, okay? I'm going to do it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, they need to learn how to take the milk, right? 514. They need to learn how to take that milk, the basic truths of the gospel, and practice how to grow in them or to grow with them. Okay, let me say that again. They need to take the milk, 514. Let's turn there if you're not there already. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. So they need to, t- they need to learn how to take that milk, those basic, basic truths of the gospel, and practice how to grow with them. Uh, they don't need uh, to rebuild foundational facts. But they need to stand on and live by them. Big difference. It was almost, you get the feel, it's just information overload, you know? And you, you get this feel that the lack here is not knowledge. It's not foundational knowledge of Christ. It's the lack of fruitfulness in life, the application of that knowledge. You understand what I'm saying? I can't help but see the parallels between the church today and its condition. And I'll include Hilltop in there. I I can't help but see those connections and those similarities as we see here in this text. So the idea is there's not a lack of knowledge. And how fitting is this as we find ourselves in the center, in the hub, the mecca of intellectualism. It's so fitting. And and I I hear Christians constantly gravitate to more uh, knowledge and just growing in in, in understanding of God. But I don't see the practical day-to-day life lived, fruit-bearing Christianity where it actually, it's not just head knowledge, but it's heart knowledge that it's infecting or getting and inconveniencing life and our choices and our emotions. Come on, somebody. You know I'm right. (laughs) 
Now, just a little bit more. Let's turn to 6. Actually, if you were probably already there. But um, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 6. Let me just find it in this small little Bible here. For land that has drunk the rain, that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burnt. So the question here is, I think the rain is almost like a word picture of the milk, if you would, of God's word. It either has the potential to produce thorns and thistles where it doesn't have like that life-giving, fruit-bearing, Christ-like fruit. Or it produces useful vegetation. Did I just make up a word? Is vegetation a word? Thank you, God. In other words, the readers learn how to use the word of Christ, the milk, to become discerning between good and evil, right? That's in the passage. Those are within these chapters. They use this to grow in discernment, discerning between good and evil. And they miss the practical point of Christianity. It's more about the moral and spiritual transformation of life than it is about just gaining head knowledge. Bill Johnson said um, in one of his fortune cookie Facebook posts, which I love. I do remind me of like going to Lucky Corner and cracking open a fortune cookie. I think it was his, your heart will take you where your head can't. And I, I can't help to see that um, so clearly in the church today. And I think it's even more um, telling where we are set up in doing life, doing community, doing church, where we have and surrounded by these hubs and these meccas of intellectualism. And we've got to be careful. I'm all for growing in knowledge. Matter of fact, I feel like this week I grew in tons of knowledge about God's word. But, but if my head is the only thing engaged, if my head is the only thing being affected, then count me out. John Piper says it's both our head and our heart connected together. He was actually here some time ago, and he talked to a couple hundred students, and he said the biggest problem you will have is to learn how to connect your head, your intellectualism to your heart, and have the two flow like a well-oiled machine. And that's much like we're seeing here. There was a smorgasbord, if you don't know what that means, it's a temple, well, I don't think it's our temple thing, but it was certainly a thing that we used to call a lot of food when we would eat together. It's a smorgasbord, it's uh, little beans, you know, a uh, little chicken, you know, whatever, you know. Um, but there was, there was an endless fountain of knowledge flowing, if I could. But there was no life transformation. There was no spiritual transformation. There was just, let's hit cruise control. Let's just get through this thing until Christ returns. It's not Christianity, friends. And why am I using Hebrews as like, the foundation for our series. Because there, there's so much here to learn from, guys. You know, we have so many outlets now to try to re-engage and try to get healed and whole and better marriage, lose weight, feel great, you know, um, 
you know, get free from emotional brokenness, this brokenness, that brokenness, whatever. We have so many triggers. We have so many things at our fingertips today. And, and, and I, I can't help but see that the fruit is bare in these efforts. It's, it's, you, you seem to be like, where's the fruit of all this? And I think something that I've witnessed in my own life when it comes to bearing fruit, life, transformational fruit in my life, like my choices, my decision, my uh, language, my love is mainly affected, mainly changed by engaging, by engaging. Not necessarily only just growing in knowledge of why I need to change, but actually putting forth the effort to change. Putting forth the work. This is not new to Christianity. Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Friend, there is work involved. Listen, if you're having marital problems, you just, you're not just going to rely upon Christ to one day flip the switch and make it all better. You're going to have to do work. You're going to have to bring flowers home. You're going to have to come home. You're going to have to want to talk. Come on. You know, we treat Christianity as if, oh, we don't have to work. Yeah, we don't have to work for our salvation. Jesus did that. But we have to work out our salvation. Big difference. Big difference. And so my hope is if you find yourself, now listen close, if you find yourself today, this morning, in that place of lethargy and sluggish Christianity, I want to encourage you, get out of the funk. Get out of the muck and the mire. Choose today to live out your salvation, to work it out. Maybe... Maybe in this case, it won't be going to a zozo, sozo meaning dozo, whatever it is. Maybe it's just making a choice. You know what? I'm going to shut down my computer, y'all. I'm going to get off Facebook. I'm going to turn off the television. No, I'm not going to go hang out for the third night in a row for some social club. I'm going to lock myself in my room and pray and seek God. Come on. Now, see, now we're getting charismatic up in here. But it's true, guys. It is so true. So many of us look to our pastors, look to this program and that time uh, a gathering or so-so. And all we really need to do is look to Christ. And you know what? The fruit of that is your life will change. It's not just going to be exclusive like you just noticed this big change. You're going to serve better. You're going to love better. You're going to pray more. You're going to read God's word more. Why? Because it's the overflow of just making those choices, working out your salvation. So many problems in life. I think about the, and this is no, um, I won't even say that. Let's get back. Verse 9 of chapter 6. Listen, the writer here of the book of Hebrews is not convinced that better times are coming for these people. He's hopeful, but he's not convinced. Let's read chapter 6, verse 9. Though we speak, actually, I'm going to read from my notes because I like the translation better. Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. They've been dull of hearing and careless in part, but it's not too late. There's hope. But it's, 
The writer is in no way cavalier or absolute. Friend, today, I am not sure of our progress and how we as a church will move together and press on, like the writer encourages us to press on into maturity, into the full stature of Christ. I'm hopeful. I got, I'm optimist. You know, I'm optimistic about it, but I don't know. I've seen so many believers start, last a couple weeks, it's done. You know? So he's hopeful, but he's not absolute. He wants them to be diligent, to have full assurance of hope in chapter 6, verse 11. And faith and patience and holiness that inherits, inherits excuse me, the promise in chapter 6, verse 12 and 12, 14. Um, but he does not say it's automatic. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't give them the assurance that God's going to pull you through this. <laughs> How many live life like that? You know, God is not, he doesn't have to do a thing for you and I. He already did enough. But he, he doesn't, he, God in scripture doesn't give us the assurance to say, friend, I'm going to come alongside of you. I'm just going to drag you through this. No, he doesn't, he, he in no way feels obligated, which I think points to this we will do if God permits. If God permits. Meaning God has a big role, but he doesn't have to. <laughs> he doesn't have to. Interesting, isn't it? So he urges them to press on. So let's get back to if God permits. Let's look at, okay, we're doing good. Yeah, everybody all right? All right. Let's focus on the implication of these few powerful words. This we will do if God permits. We will press on to maturity if God permits. One, God governs the progress of sanctification, or in this case, the progress of maturity. I, I take that to say, um, he being God has the final word, the final say, in whether we overcome or bent to sin, or if we make progress towards maturity. Do you understand? Are, are you, you with me? Okay, I don't know if how I could explain it anymore. So if you weren't with me, I'm sorry. Um, we, I almost said it like I could do something if you didn't understand. No, sorry about that. So we will press on to maturity if God's permits. This is we will make progress in our sanctification and in holiness if God permits it. He decides ultimately in how fast we advance in holiness or not. Now, I come to this conclusion mainly by two other passages within this book. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, 20 through 21. I'll read it, so for the sake of time while you're turning there. Now may the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd, the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, another example is Hebrews 12, uh, 16 through 17. And here we get the story of Esau. Now, this is where we're really focusing in on the if God permits, Okay. We're all into contextually, line upon line, precept upon precept, building text and not just taking a passage and kind of distorting it. We're all into it, so let's just get into it, shall we? 
Because when you start doing it, it's scary. When you actually start looking at Scripture, not just from one passage and using it in your arsenal, you know, uh, when you start taking it as a whole, it's scary. And I'll tell you, friend, this scares me. This right here, what we're going to read, scares me. He says this, Let there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, now listen, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. (gasps) For he found no place. Someone say, no place. No, place. No, no, no. No place. For repentance, though he sought it, repentance with tears. Think about this. Think about this in light of everything that we have shared thus far. Esau rejected. He so profaned the grace of God that was no longer to repent. Even though he wept, his repentance seemed sincere. God forsake him. He forsook him. He he utterly forsaked him. And there was no more patience for Esau. Here's the precious but yet terrible warning behind these words. We will press on to maturity if God permits. Being like Esau, he says. Do you understand the connection? Line upon line, precept upon precept, he starts using Esau as the example. You have a man who... Visually, from the outside, looks uh, repentant, looks sincere, but yet God rejects him. He does not permit him to move on to maturity or to press on into the full stature of Christ. God's sovereignty falls like a brick in this church this morning, doesn't it? I imagine that the writer here uses these examples, uses these words to grip the ears that are dull of the people he is communicating to. He's just not trying to say, wake up. He's trying to share the severity. He's trying to to get these people to sober their hearts because you are not guaranteed one day in your 30s and 40s just to say yes to God. God puts that yes in you by His grace. So you should consider yourself lucky this morning if you have that yes in you to press on to maturity because it's only by God's grace that it's there and not because of your will and your effort to place it there. That's what He means. Esau came. He repented. He was sincere. He's weeping. God! Yet God rejects him. Oh, this is, this is in charismatic theology. Listen, I, I, I will get rid of my charismatic theology if it means adhering to the Scripture and seeing face value and what it really means. And I imagine, again, let me, just, let me just say this. I imagine that the writer is so trying to grip his listeners, his readers, saying, guys, there's real things at stake here. There's real things at stake. 
God governs the progress of sanctification. He is not obligated to grant repentance to anyone. That's why we have the example of Esau in the text. Which leads me to the second implication of the words, if God permits. Permitting us to advance on to maturity is all about his grace. (laughs) Come on. We think we we think we we're just gonna, we're gonna bend your will, God. God is not interested. And if you today sit here and you have that that fire in you to press on into maturity, it's only because God's grace that it's there. And if you don't. You should be concerned. So permitting us to advance into maturity, sanctification is all about His grace. Not permitting us is His righteous judgment. Oh, this New Testament. God doesn't judge anymore. Well, I wonder what your reaction is going to be when He peels open the sky and you hear these eerie trumpets blasting And you see this man with an army coming out of the heavens. I wonder what your reaction will be. I'm sure we're not going to be dancing in the streets. Hallelujah. Friend, we are by nature rebellious against God. And any other theology, any other understanding of just that, You should do away from, if you hear anybody saying anything different, you should get them out of your uh, podcast. You should clear the slates. Because, uh, friend, today, I, myself, am rebellious against God. God does not owe any of us grace to conquer that rebellion. If God leaves us in our rebellion, so be it. He is righteous and just to do so if He chooses. He owes us nothing. We sing it. You owe me nothing. I deserve hell. We sing it. We rock it. Some of you are like, yeah. Those are real words with real meaning, with real theology behind them. God today owes us nothing. Have I convinced you of that at least? We are rebels by nature and deserve only punishment, not rescue. Luckily, we were rescued. If you are saved this morning, it's only by God's grace. If you persevere and make progress towards maturity, it's only by God's grace. This we will do if God permits. And if he chooses not to permit, he is not hindering our goodwill. He is leaving us in our bad will. If we have goodwill towards God, it's the work of grace. It's the work of God's grace on why that goodwill is there. So we should tremble with gratitude. If you have this today, if you have that, oh, I'm going to press on. I'm going to grow into the full stature of Christ. If you have that, you should tremble. And you should fight to preserve that. Because it's only by God's grace that it's there. It's only because of his grace that is it. You can feel glad to come 
to me after service and we can talk about it. But if it's there, you should tremble with gratitude. God sometimes wills some things to come to pass which He forbids us to bring to pass. That is, He sometimes decrees what He forbids. In this case, for example, He may not permit someone to press on to maturity. Nevertheless, He commands us to press on to maturity. Isn't that interesting? So He's decreeing immaturity while commanding maturity. What an interesting God we serve. You know, it, it's, it's not hard to wrap our mind around this type of logic. The clearest biblical illustration that we have is in God's plan for the death of Jesus. God forbids murder. Thou shall not murder in Exodus chapter 20 verse 13. And he decrees that his son be murdered in Acts 4, 27 through 28. Do you see this sovereign God this morning? And one party's forbidding murder and the other one he's orchestrating and putting together the plans for the murder of his son. So my conclusion is this. We ought to work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. This whole book is written as an incentive to help us to press on to holiness. Um, without it, we will not see God. That's what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says. Um, we will not see the Lord. God's sovereignty and sanctification does not remove um, our obligation. That's, that's the thing that sets in. Well, well, maybe if God just does it, if he permits it, then I have really nothing to do. No, you are obligated still within this text to press on to maturity. You can't just, well, God's in control. God's sovereign. No, you are obligated in scriptures, to press. God's sovereignty and sanctification does not remove our obligation. It enables it. Let me say that again. God's sovereignty and sanctification does not remove our obligation. It enables it. And if it's there, let me just say, you should be grateful. If it's not there, You should be concerned. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Philippians 2.12, right? The sovereignty of God. God's sovereign work in us is our only hope or is the only hope we have in pressing on to maturity. We should tremble at God's sovereignty and marvel at God's grace. I hope I did a, a, a good job um, but I hope, more so than just doing a good job, that there is a weight. Um, maybe that's the wrong word, because he takes our heavy weights. But I hope that there is a sobriety in your hearts this morning. Uh, my fear is that we, uh, we so handle lightly this book. We, we so take lightly our Christianity, our walk with Christ. This walk is not just eat, drink, and be merry. This walk is lose your life. Follow me. We can't just get comfortable 
with kind of a middle place. We can't just get comfortable with cruising, just getting along with life, just going on with the program. We have to either shift that car and forward and move towards maturity and press on to growing in God. Or just slap that thing in reverse and go the opposite direction. Listen, I want to do this. I want to open up the altar. Will, if you could come and just play some music for us. Just some, I, I don't know how this sits with you today, <laughs> but, but, but I do have hope. I, I have hope. I have assurance that uh, the one who started a good work is going to complete a good work. But I, 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 I want to just ask a hard question. Where, where are you today? Where are you today? It's, it's not bad to evaluate the condition of your heart. It is not bad to look and ask yourself questions and saying, Jesus, where am I? Am I just getting along? Am I just trying to survive? Am I just trying to cruise through? Or am I, am I giving my life to you? Am I, am, I, am I laying down these things and, and forsaking all to follow you? It is okay to ask those questions. Matter of fact, I would say you should, on a daily basis, ask yourself those questions. It's better that you ask them now than you be faced with them when you're before Christ. In, in many ways, I feel like we've, we live so far from the reality of one day we will be before Him. It's God we sing so much about, we preach so much about, we pray to, we read about. I, I, I feel as though we're not connected that one day we will be before him. It is better that we ask ourselves hard questions now to, to get on the right page, to get on in growth and maturing than be faced with regrets when we get before him. I felt like in preparing here, I would like to have an altar call for those who feel emotionally battered. Um, let me explain. You know, I, I would lend to or, or assume to believe that some of you are so emotionally beat up. You know, um, you don't know in one minute if you're coming or going. You're, you're, you're at one point high and another point low. You just, you feel like maybe even a bit unstable as a Christian, as a believer. Like your emotions are just, they're steering the wheel of your faith journey. They're, you're just so guided and, uh, and led by um, these, these um, impulses and this kind of roller coaster ride in your emotions. I want to I open up the altar call. I want to pray for those who feel unstable emotionally. So if that's you, if you want to come up, if you feel like, man, I just feel like my emotions are leading me. I don't feel like I'm led by God. And I, I feel like my emotions distort God's leadership. I feel like my, um, 
my up and downness just um, clutters and fogs God's leadership in my life. If that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. We want to pray with you. It's not a bad thing. Listen, I'm a musician. I am so emotionally prone just to be led by those emotions that you would wonder sometimes even if I'm saved, you know. And, and, and I've recently just been uh, particularly provoked um, by this series to get stable in my emotions and be led by God's spirit and not just these impulses of like, oh, I'm having a good day or oh, I'm having a bad day. If that's you, I'm not going to waste too much time with it, but that's what I felt like today we could pray. If you feel like emotionally you're just up and down, it almost feels like you're on this uncontrollable roller coaster and you're getting you know, jerked around. If that's you, just, just come up. Because I, I think God wants us to build our lives upon Him. I, I, there's there's, there's, there's got to be some kind of way where we clearly identify that if a man builds his house upon a rock, that rock can't be shaken. Not by emotions, not, not by uh, our bad days, our good days, but because our life is built upon Jesus. And I, I just feel like we're to pursue, as we pursue growing in maturity, I feel like we're to pursue emotional healing, saying, God, Build my life upon Christ, my rock. Those of you here, just close your eyes. We're going to pray for you. I'm going to ask Matthew, some of the leadership team, Bethany, um, please come up. Soraya, um, the Restrepos, others, uh, the Fartex, others chose those who know how to pray. We're going to just open this time up to believe God that he's going to set us in a trajectory, a course of getting healed, that we're not going to just lean upon sozo and pull upon our pastors, but we're going to see a deep work done by the Holy Spirit where our lives are going to be so built upon Jesus. Let's do that, huh? If you're there, pray with us. If you have to go, feel free to go. It's okay. Um, if you're a visitor here, if you're with us, you're a guest, I'd encourage you to drop by the info center. We just want to get to know you a little better, maybe get some information um, so that we can get you in the family. If you're interested, we also have a gift um, for you um, as our first-time guest, and we want to give that gift to you. Um, listen, we love you guys, and I'd encourage you, listen, if you've started here and if you've been here both Sundays, as we've been discussing, um, teleos, this maturing, this growing into, I'd encourage you, stick with it for the duration of, our, of, our, um, of this series. I believe that this could potentially be a very pivotal um, uh, message, a very pivotal sen- uh, series to help us grow as a church, not just in numbers, but grow emotionally, grow spiritually. Amen? Amen. We love you. Michelle, did you have something?